Amen. If you brought a Bible, go please to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, the Gospel of John, and while you find that, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment. While you find that, I want to announce that we have a very full week of Christmas celebration, and we want all of you to be a part of it. Uh, this evening at 6 p.m., we will be having our Christmas banquet. This is for all of the uh, adults in the church, so be sure and find a babysitter and to come over to the Christmas banquet. Uh, we had to change the venue. Your ticket says uh, community center, but we had to change the venue due to the need for a little bit more space for everyone. So we're going to be meeting in the uh, Family Life Center or the gym of the Methodist Church, all right? So be sure and be there. Uh, we start at 6 o'clock. Try to get there a little before that. Uh, claim your seat. We're going to have a great time as we eat and fellowship together. And we're also going to celebrate uh, the great uh, glories of Christmas uh, and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't stay home. Uh, if you uh, receive tickets and aren't going to be using them, please let us know so that we can uh, make those seats available to somebody else. And if you didn't get your tickets, uh, we'll uh, talk to the uh, office there and they'll get you set up. Also, on Wednesday, we have our Sights and Sounds of Christmas. This is our children's party uh, for all the kids, 3 to 11, age 3 to 11. They'll be having a living nativity as well as a sing-along and a snack time and craft time and just a great time uh, learning about the real reason of Christmas. All right, we're not going to tell them about Santa. We're going to tell them about Jesus. And so I want you to bring your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, some strays that you find around there. Bring them to church on Wednesday night. At, that'll be at 7 o'clock. No Bible study. We'll be dedicating that night to teaching our children about uh, Jesus Christ and his birth. And then next Sunday is Christmas Eve. And next uh, Sunday evening, we'll have our regular Sunday service, but on uh, Sunday evening at 6, we'll be having our Christmas Eve service, special Christmas Eve service, and uh, we hope to see all of you as we uh, enjoy the candlelight and celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, and then you can go home and eat your tamales and your menudo and unwrap your gifts and have your family time. Did you find John yet? I didn't hear you. Did you find John yet? All right, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs which you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. 
And I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive your word with gladness. I pray that you would cause uh, the Spirit of God to breathe and move upon the issues of our hearts, that we might be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Man, you may be seated this morning. I want to talk this morning about the gift. And uh, as we've been discussing in the last few weeks, the gift of Christmas is not what you're going to find under a Christmas tree, but it is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to speak particularly about the gift of change. Uh, every one of us was born into sin. And the fact is that all of us need change. Say amen, somebody. Uh, we are all fallen. We are all born in the, uh, infected with the nature of Adam. And as a result, our lives, uh, our decisions are often fraught with error and mistakes because the nature of man is broken. It's bent toward the direction of sin as a result of the fall. And so not a person among us and no one in the world can say I'm, I'm perfect the way I am. All of us need change. Even if you've been living with God for a long time and you've been faithful uh, in the Christian life, there is still the daily need for the renewal of our minds. The daily need for the changing of our hearts because the reality is that living in this life, uh, sooner or later things stick to you. Ideas, thoughts, patterns, ways of thinking, and, and those things have to be renewed and washed off of us every once in a while so that we can continue to grow and develop as to the person that God wants us to be and to serve Him fully. And so this morning we have before us a man who received this gift. Now this man is a little different from the last two people that we've looked at in this series. The first man we looked at was named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was easy to hate. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he had betrayed his people in a sense, and so it was easy for us to kind of understand that kind of a man who, uh, who was in need desperately of God's grace. Last week we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. This woman was uh, easy to understand also. She had a very broken past, and her sin had made her a, a candidate for the grace of God, and thank God uh, that she found that grace. But this morning we have before us a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is different because Nicodemus was a straight-laced man. He was a man who had it all together. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Jewish nation. In fact, he was a doctor of theology. He was a ruler of the nation of Israel. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was made up of 70 men who governed the, all of Judaism, was governed by these 70 men. And they were the supreme court, the final arbiter of all the cases in the nation of Israel. And among them sat this man named Nicodemus. He had several things going for him. One of the things he had going for him was that he had religion. And he was faithful to the rituals and the responsibilities of the Jewish religion. He kept the feasts and the Sabbaths and the sacrifices. He was faithful to what he had been taught in the law of Moses. And as a result, he had been set up as an example to the Jews to say, this is the kind of man you ought to want to be like. This is the kind of man that you ought to strive to become. 
Not only did he uh, observe religion, but he also had the great degree of morality. He was a good man. He was the kind of man that didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He, he paid his taxes. He paid his bills on time. Say amen, somebody. He was the kind of man who you would call ethical and moral. He had a cool temper. He was honest. He had a good work ethic. He showed up on time and, and worked late when he had to. He was disciplined in morality. Not only that, but he was a sophisticated man. High society. He was superior in his social standing. He was a man that dressed nice and uh, had the, the, uh, the world look at him with honor and dignity. And they saw in him a man that they wanted to be like. But having all of those things in his life, he discovered that he was still missing the thing. He had all of those things going for him, and yet he discovered that he was still missing the thing that all of us are looking for. You know, there is no, no end to what man can accomplish in the attempt to fulfill and satisfy the longing of his heart. And yet we find that religion and morality and, and pleasure and fun and entertainment and all of those things, when they are available and are, are part of your life, they still become sterile and they are unable to fill the emptiness of your heart. Having all that he had, Nicodemus was still a hungry man. And the, the thing is that religion is hard work. How many of you know that? Religion is hard work. Keeping up with rules and regulations and rituals and dress codes is hard work. And to do all that hard work and still come up short is a, is a devastating thing. I remember when I was in college, we, uh, we got it in our minds, my roommates and I were going to go eat at a, at a very nice restaurant. It was a seafood restaurant. And we had heard it, you know, talked about at the Capitol, and everybody was talking about it, so we had to go there, of course, because we wanted to experience what everyone else was experiencing. What I didn't know was how expensive the place was. And when you're in college, everything's expensive. So this place was extra expensive. And uh, when I ordered my plate, I thought, man, that's so much money, I'm going to be broke for a week. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to... Um, to make up the, the shortfall on this, but then I thought it won't matter because I'm going to be getting some food. I'm going to be siéntelos atrás, por favor. I'm going to be getting some. Uh, I'm going to be getting a plate that's going to satisfy my need, and this is going to this is going to uh, bring me what I what I want. Well, when they brought my plate, if you've ever been to one of these really nice restaurants, um, the 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 food is almost one fourth of the plate and and I, I thought where's the rest of it for the amount of money I paid I want to know where the rest of my food was because you know I'm from Texas and in Texas you haven't been served until your food is falling off of the plate well I went home and had to eat Cheerios because I was still hungry you see that's what life does it costs you a lot and it leaves you hungry that's what religion does. That's what pleasure does in entertainment. It costs you a lot, and yet it leaves you hungry. It leaves you in need of something still more. This was Nicodemus, and so he was looking for something, and he heard about Jesus, and he must have thought, this is the, the thing I'm looking for. This, is what, uh, this may be what I am desiring. So he goes to talk to Jesus, but he can't go talk to him in the middle of the day when everybody would see him, and that would start a buzz 
does and say, you know what, Nicodemus is following after this radical rabbi. He, he's leaving the faith. But, but so he goes and he talks to him at night because he was desperate to have this thing that Jesus had. And I'll tell you that there is a time in life when it doesn't matter what it costs anymore, when you are fed up with being fed up and you are tired of being tired and sick of being sick, you will do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Come on, I don't think you heard me because there, there are some days... There are some days when you have to crawl into the house of God. You just literally have to drag yourself to church. But you got to church because there was something on the inside of you that said, I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. I've got to have something in my life. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He has to sneak around a little bit. He comes at night and he comes to Jesus and he does what religious people do. He uses religious talk. Now, I have discovered that not only religious people do that, but almost everybody has a way that we can talk to kind of disguise what's really going on. You say, how are you doing? We say, I'm fine. I'm doing great. But if I ask you again, how are you really doing? Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. The truth comes out. Nicodemus starts talking to Jesus, and he uses this Language, he says, Lord, we know that you are from God because no one can do the signs that you do. He had, he had recognized something in Jesus that, that set him apart, that made him unique. And can I tell you today that Jesus is still set apart and Jesus is still unique because no one can do the things that Jesus does. I said no one can do the things that Jesus does. No one can mend a broken heart. No one can heal the disaster of a marriage. No one can deliver the soul from the fetters of sin. Only Jesus can do that. So we have to set Jesus above and apart from everybody else. Come on, somebody. Jesus is able to do things that man cannot do. You know, we have leadership in our world. We have powerful men and women in our world, but they can't do the things that Jesus can do. Jesus can show up at your bedside at midnight when nobody else can. Jesus will come when the pastor doesn't answer the phone. Jesus will come when nobody is there to help you. Come on, somebody. Jesus can do what man can't do. But he's, he's, he's recognizing you are someone unique. You're someone different. But Jesus, he doesn't spend time on all that. He goes right to the core of the, of the matter. Because, you know, Jesus hears your heart. With his mouth, Nicodemus is making religious professions. But with his heart, he's saying, help me. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm broken. I'm I'm needing something. There's something lacking in my life. Aren't you glad today that Jesus can look past the smile and the mask and the front and he can hear the heart saying, help me, Lord. The heart that says, I've got to have your help. Oh, I love him for it because, you know, sometimes I don't even know what to say. But Jesus speaks tears. Sometimes I don't even know what to say, but Jesus speaks groaning. When all you can do is groan, the Lord somehow, he can understand the groan and the cry of the broken heart. Aren't you glad that he speaks your tears, that he hears your groaning and he understands? 
he knows what Nicodemus' heart is saying. And so he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus says, well, Lord, how's that even possible? How does a man get born again? How, how can a man return to his mother's womb and have a second birth? Is that even possible? Really, what Nicodemus was saying to Jesus was he was saying, as far as I understand it, I don't think it's possible. I didn't know it ever to be possible for a man to change. And there are some people still today, even in this church this morning, who walk around thinking it's impossible for me to change. I really don't know if it's possible to change. I don't know if it's possible for me to be able to break the habits or the patterns that are going on in my life. And you say, preacher, do you really think it's possible for me to change? Do you really think it's possible for me to be a different man or a different woman? Can I really change? I'm here today to tell you that there is change possible in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the one that changes the heart. Jesus is the one that changes the very nature of man. And only Jesus can do that. Now the, the scientist Isaac Newton, he, he taught a principle called the first law of motion. Now may, maybe you may notice that there's a basketball sitting up here with me on the altar. And some of you who are a little obsessive compulsive, you're thinking, what's that ball doing there? You haven't heard anything I've said so far because you're wondering about that ball. Well, there's a ball sitting on the platform, and you don't know this, but that basketball would like to move. It was made to move. That ball would like to go through a hoop in a championship game and win the game. That ball would like to do some amazing things. The only problem is that ball can't move itself. And Newton taught this law. He said it's the first law of motion that everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by force impressed from the outside. Let me say that again because really he was talking about a natural law but it's also a spiritual principle. Everything continues in a state of rest. In other words, nothing changes unless it is compelled to change. By an outside force. You see, that ball wants to move. It wants to, it wants to do some extraordinary things. The only problem is that that ball cannot change itself. It cannot move itself. It cannot bounce by itself. It cannot roll by itself. And it certainly cannot jump through a hoop by itself. And you and I are like that basketball, friend. You and I cannot change unless we're acted upon by an outside force. You and I cannot be the man that we want to be or the woman that we want to be until something moves upon us. Can I tell you this morning that there is a wind that is blowing through this house that wants to move upon your life and bring the necessary force to change you. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the power of God this morning. That's the power that can move a man, that can move a woman and change them. 
For that ball to start rolling, something has to happen to it. I either have to kick it or pick it up or roll it around. And so long as you and I are just laying there, unable to move, and we have no desire for change, and that's the way you're going to stay. The liar will stay a liar. The drunk will stay a drunk. The addict will stay an addict because he can't move himself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to come along and put in us the power and the force necessary to bring us to the place that God desires for us. Somebody say, change me, Lord. Do you really want to be changed? Some of you are thinking, man, if I like this ball, if I could just be different. If I could get these things out of my life. Can I tell you, friend, that change is possible because the Spirit of God has made it possible for your life. Now, here's the thing we need to know. First of all, change starts with a new life, not just new things. Let me say that again. Change starts with a new life, not just new things. Most of the time we think if I get new things, I'll have a new life. A new car, a new house, new man, new woman, new job, new wardrobe, new hairdo. It's quiet in here now. You say if I, if I just had new things, I would be new. Here's the problem. You get a new house but you put an old man in it, he's still an old man. You see, if you say, Pastor, you know, I've been praying for a bigger house because my little house is so small, it's very disorganized, and if I just had a bigger house, I would have it so organized because I'd have more space and more cabinets and more closets, and I'll be able to put everything in its place. But you know what the reality is? If I, if I take you from the old house and put you in a new house, but I don't change your mind, I don't change your thoughts, I don't change how you do things, before long, the big house will be disorganized too. You say, well, pastor, all I need is the right man. If I just could find the right man, if I could just find the right woman, pastor, she's the one, she's the one, this is the one that's going to make me a new man, this is the one that's going to make me a new woman. Friend, if Jesus hadn't done it, you ain't going to do it. All right, that man ain't going to do it. That woman ain't going to do it. You say, well, if, if we get into, if I could just find the right man, let me tell you that if you get, it doesn't matter if the right man has the right job and the right house and the right car. If he's an old man, he's still in his sin. And so people get new houses and new cars and new mates and they get new jobs, but they don't get a new man, they don't get a new life, they don't get a new heart, and nothing changes. Nothing has changed because the heart hasn't changed. But here's the reality. If you change the heart, if you change the mind of man, and then you can be living in an old house and it feels like a new one. You can be driving an old car and it feels like a new one because it wasn't the things around you that changed. It was the heart that changed. I hear somebody saying, Pastor, I don't really like where this is going because it sounds like you're telling me that my husband is not the problem and my wife's not the problem, and my neighbors aren't the problem, it sounds like you're telling me that I'm the problem. It's getting real quiet in here this morning. That's why the old saints used to sing, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one that needs change. 
I'm the one that needs a new attitude, a new mindset, a new heart. I'm the one that needs to be transformed. Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got to have a new heart. You've got to have a new birth. Something's got to change on the inside of you. The Apostle Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. You see, when you come to Christ, Christ makes you a new creature. Before Christ, you were a liar who couldn't stop lying, or a thief who couldn't stop the, uh, uh, stealing or a drunk who couldn't stop drinking but then you came to Jesus and Jesus made the liar honest and he made the thief a giver and he made the drunk sober come on somebody I'm talking about the power of Jesus Christ to change us the second thing we need to know is that real change is a lifelong process not a feeling listen the, the change that God brings into a man's life, a woman's life, is not a feeling. A lot of times we get caught up with feelings. And feelings fade. Our emotions fade. They, they are up one day, down the other. They're like a thermostat. All they do is respond to the conditions in your life. You never want to let your emotions drive the car of your life because emotions will lead you into havoc. They'll lead you into ruin. It's not a feeling that we're after. It's a process that the Spirit of God is leading through all of our lives. It's a process of sanctification. Sometimes sanctification doesn't feel good. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit is, uh, is working things out of a person's life, it doesn't feel good. Sometimes he starts cutting friends out of your life and says, these people have got to go. These relationships have got to go. He said, Lord, but that's painful. I don't feel good about it. But if you will just let him work and let him do his work, you will find that your feelings are, are not what the ultimate indicator of what brings happiness into your life. Some people, they come to church for a feeling. And then the moment they get out in the parking lot, if something happens, they end up with a flat tire or they, don't, uh, they didn't uh, hear something they wanted to hear, they lose the feeling. And you thought, because I lost the feeling, I lost my breakthrough. Because I lost the feeling, I lost my word. Let me tell you what, this word works whether you feel it or not. This word works whether you have emotions about it or not. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a process done by the Holy Spirit that goes beyond the, 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 the ability of the body to understand. Look at what Philippians chapter 1 verse 16 says. It says that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is saying I have begun a process in you and I am going to finish it in your life. I'm going to do what I promised I would do in your life. And, and so don't be led by your feelings. What you want to look for is maturity. Have I grown? Have I matured? Have I changed the way that I look at things? Because your feelings will fade. But you will know, you will know that the Spirit of God is working on the inside of you because there will be maturity in your life. You won't handle things the way you used to handle them. You'll handle them differently because God is teaching you, forming you, shaping you, and training you. The Apostle Paul tells us, he warns us to be careful not to be led 
by our feelings because, you know, sometimes people think, well, you know, I learned a couple of Bible verses. I'm ready to preach. I gave an offering, so now I'm ready to be a uh, financial whiz kid. Doesn't come that fast, does it? You've got to grow into this thing. Say, grow up. Say it again, grow up. You got to grow into this thing because Paul says, be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Don't be misled by your feelings. You say, okay, I've been to church three times in a row. Now I can go witness to my old crew. You better leave that old crew alone because you might feel like you're ready, but you're not ready yet. It's going to take a process, a work of the Spirit of God in your life. And when He has begun to mature you and strengthen you, He'll, he'll put you in that place where you can do that thing that you desire to do. But you be, be cautious that you're not led simply by the feeling. Number three, change requires a release in order to receive. Here, uh, here you see some of the things, that, some of the reasons why people don't grow in their life, why they don't have change in their life, just because they haven't released the things that have to be let go of. There are some things you cannot take with you into the kingdom of God. There are some ways of thinking that have to be let go of, that have to be released. And as long as you're holding on to yesterday, you can't have tomorrow. So don't, don't hold on stubbornly to the past. Let it go. Let it go. Let that past go so that God can give you the future that he has desired for you. Some people get trapped in the hurts of yesterday. They're unable to forgive. They're unable to let go. They're unable to say, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive this person who hurt me. And so long as they insist upon holding on to the people that hurt them and the ways that they were hurt, they're unable to progress into the life that God has for them. Others don't. Uh, move forward because they haven't let go of their life of sin. They've become comfortable with sin. And listen, sin can become cozy like a blanket sometimes. Makes you feel secure. You feel like if I get out of this a habit that I'm in, this, this is what makes me feel good. This is what relaxes me. This is what calms me down. This is what makes me feel like I'm a man or a woman. This is what makes me feel like I'm alive. If I get out of this blanket, I'm going to be exposed to the cold. Can I tell you, friend, so long as you hold on to the blanket of sin, you cannot have the full covering of the grace of God that washes you and makes you free from the power and the grip of sin. You have to be willing to let go, to release that thing, to say, God has something better for me. God has something greater for me. And I'll tell you this morning that change is possible, but you're going to have to let some things go. And I'll be, I'll be frank with you this morning. Most of you already know what those things are because the Holy Spirit will tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you, you need to let go of that. You need to get out of that relationship. You need to get out of that that job, that's not, they're influencing you wrong. You need to get out of that group of people. You need to stop doing this. The Holy Spirit will tell you, and many times, if we ignore the voice of the Spirit, we delay the growth that God wants to bring into our life. Now, some of you, you say, Pastor, I want change. I was changing. I was making a lot of progress. I was I was going, I was rolling, I was hitting those goals, I was making the, the, the shot, but then, but then I stopped. I feel like I got interrupted, I feel like I, I hit a wall. 
And I just want to tell you, you're not the only one that's ever happened to, and you're not the only one that's ever going to happen to. It's a reality that we experience from time to time in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church, and he said to them, he said, you were running so well. What stopped you? Maybe this morning, the Spirit of God is whispering in your ear and saying, you were doing so well. What hindered you? What stopped you? What, what caused the interruption in your growth? What caused the interruption in your process? You say, Pastor, I used to read the Bible. I used to, I used to pray. I used to witness. I used to be on fire for God. But now I just feel like, like I'm dying out. Something has interrupted my growth. Can I tell you, friend, that, that you need the, the wind of the Spirit to provide the momentum in your life. That's why you and I who have learned to attend church every Sunday, we, we do it not because it's a religious ritual, but because we know that this week God is going to say something that's going to move my life, something that's going to move me into a place of victory. And when you come to that assurance that you know I've got to be in God's presence. I've got to be in God's house because that's the wind in our sails. That is what moves me into the presence and the power of God. It's what moves me into the future that God has for me. But you see, some people get interrupted because they can't handle meat. They can't handle hard teaching. They want the milk of the word. The Apostle Paul says, I fed you milk because you were not able to, to take solid food. You were not able to receive solid food. And that's the kind of person who says, I can't be corrected. You can't tell me nothing. Don't, don't correct me. I know what I'm doing. And when you get that attitude, you stop your growth. When you get that attitude that says, I've got all I need to get. I have learned all I need to, to learn. I can't be taught anything else. You stop your growth. Because you see, meat sometimes, it, it, it's, it requires a little chewing. Sometimes the meat of the word is, is, uh, is difficult to take. Sometimes it requires a change of habits. Sometimes it requires a change of vocabulary. Sometimes it, it requires a change of our disposition. And when people aren't willing to enter into that and, and take the solid meat of the word, it delays their growth. Some of you are delayed in your growth right now because you like the milk of the word and you haven't taken the meat of the word. Can I tell you today, God has more for you than milk. I said, God has more for you than milk. He wants you to come into the fullness of what he has provided for you. The second thing we need to understand is that interruptions happen because of envy and strife. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, uh, because you are still carnal, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are like ordinary people. You're like average men. What is Paul saying? He's saying that when a person gets involved in jealousy and strife, it delays their ability to grow. It stops the movement in your life. Every time you start comparing yourself and what you have to somebody else and what they have, it's going to produce a delay in your life. You've got to make up your mind. I don't care what anybody else has or doesn't have. I've got to have Jesus. I've got to have his power in my life. I've got to do what he tells me to do, and I'm going to have the victory that he has provided for me. You got you to gotta stop quarreling. It's so quiet in here. It's like me and the ball are by ourselves. 
in the church this morning. Do you know that, that when you get involved in quarrels, it stops your growth? You left the seat up again. Pastor said that from the pulpit. We quarrel about small things. Now, you say, Pastor, you live alone, so you don't quarrel. I quarrel with myself sometimes. <laughs> you heard about the man who lived on an island by himself. He planted a church, and then the church split. <laughs> sometimes we quarrel with ourselves. We quarrel with our spouse. We quarrel with our children. It's a constant bickering and fighting, and, and God doesn't abide in that. God doesn't abide in strife and quarreling. He abides where, where we adopt his presence. When we say, Lord, you teach us how to handle this. You change me. You shape me. You move me and make me the man that I need to be. And it's in that place where our quarrels are laid down and we say, Lord, it doesn't matter if they make me uh, uh, nervous or they annoy me. I've got I've to let all those things aside because I want to do what you called me and designed me to do. I can't quarrel over it anymore. I can't spend myself. My, my life fighting with people I've got a devil to fight I've got an enemy to fight come on somebody you don't have time to be fighting your wife and your children you've got a devil to fight it's time to get in the fight to focus your energy and your attention on winning the battle of faith others get interrupted because they have decided that they can't change he said, this is as far as I can go. This is as far as I, this is as much as I can do. And in their mind, they have decided I can't be any more than this. And that is the greatest lie that the enemy has sold to humanity. That you can't be any different. That you can't change. That, that the way you are is the way you're always going to be. He'll tell you, you know, your, your great granddaddy was a drunk and your daddy was a drunk and you're, you're going to be a drunk. He'll tell you, your great grandparents got divorced and your parents got divorced so you're going to get divorced. And he sells us these lies. And we buy them hook, line, and sinker too many times. We believe the enemy and his lies. I've come today to declare that I don't believe any word that comes out of his mouth. What God has promised me is what God has promised you. And he says, I can change you. I can make you new. And I can break the curse of yesterday. I can break the curse of the past and I can make you a new creature and make your life count I can make your life count that's God's assurance to you today but you say pastor how same question that Nicodemus was asking he says how how do I get born again how do I get this change I can't move myself Jesus said Nicodemus, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. What does that mean? That means if your feelings started it, your feelings have to continue it. They can't. If your, if your urges, your, your fleshly urges started the thing, they're the ones that have to continue the thing, and they can't. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and the flesh is death. But whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
And that spirit is like a wind that comes to move upon your life. And it starts putting you into motion. It starts to do something in your life so that you can accomplish the thing that God has desired for you to accomplish. So that you can move from there to there and someday be able to say, it was the spirit of God that moved upon my life. He picked me up when I couldn't get up. He, he raised me out of my sin and sorrow and out of my shame. And he made me a new man. And he gave me a new life and a new purpose. He said, Nicodemus, if you want to change, you've got to accept the gift of God. If you want to be moved, you have to be, you have to be willing to take the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gift of God is his son. And whosoever will believe in him. If you have never given your life to Christ, this is the instruction. You say, Pastor, how do I change? Here's how you change. You believe in him. You receive this gift from God. The gift of God's love, forgiveness, and pardon. And if you're already a Christian, you say, Pastor, how do I change? You believe him. You do the things that he tells you to do. And when you believe him and you walk in obedience to him, you find that this change is indeed possible. You see, friend, change today is possible because of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born a man so that men could be born children of God. Jesus was born into our world so that you and I could be born into his world. That's why change is possible. Because Jesus Christ has made it possible. Through his sinless life and his perfect sacrifice and his resurrection. So that today and any day that a man or woman says, God, I need change. The wind of the spirit can blow upon them and breathe new life into them. And they can be born again and born anew. Change is possible because of the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell on the inside of you and make you new. And teach you. Change is possible because it's not something you have to earn or something you have to pay for. It's a gift. And this gift is yours for the taking. Will you have Jesus? Will you say yes to Christ? Will you make him the Lord of your life? You say, Pastor, yeah, I've got religion. No, I'm not talking about religion. You do you have Jesus? You say, Pastor, I have a church membership card or church membership certificate. Or, or I got baptized in, in water. Friend, do you have Jesus? Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is a life changer. Jesus is a man that comes to live on the inside of you and make you new. If you will have him today, he'll begin that process in your life. He'll change you. 
He'll transform your mind so that you think differently. He'll transform your eyes so that you see things differently. He'll transform your mouth so that you speak differently. He'll transform your hands so that you do things differently. He'll transform your feet so that you walk in the direction of eternal life instead of condemnation. God loved you so much that He gave His Son to save you. And He loves you so much, Christian, that He sent His Spirit to transform you and renew you and change you. Would you stand with me this morning? I know that many of you this morning, if you look at your life, there are some things that need changing. If we're honest this morning, and I know that we are, there are some things in all of our lives that need changing. And I think when you look at next year and you dream a little bit, you say, this needs to change. Maybe you say, I, I just need a little change. I need to lose some weight. Or I need to gain some weight. Or maybe you say, I need to spend less money. I need to save more. Or maybe you say, I need to reconcile with this person. It doesn't really matter what the change is that you want. The only way to make it possible it's for the wind of the Spirit to breathe and move you into that place. So if you look at yourself today, you say, I want to be used by God as a, as a minister of the gospel. You've got to have the Spirit of God move you into that place. You say, I want to be a witness for Jesus. I want to win a lot of souls next year for Christ. You've got to be moved by the Spirit into that place. And today, I have come as an agent of God's uh, word to tell you there's a wind blowing through this house. And that wind is blowing to move you and to position you to a place where God can use you. And whatever it is that you need to change in your life, He's the one that's going to bring it into your life. If you believe him. So this morning I want to open this altar. To every person who says. Pastor there are some things in my life. Small or great. That I want changed. And I, I want to believe God today. To breathe upon me with his spirit. And bring that change into my life. If that's you. Would you just come into this altar. Would you just make yourself available to the spirit of God. To say Lord. Breathe on me. Change the way I see things, the way I talk, the way I walk. Change the things about me that aren't pleasing to you. Make me stronger when I'm weak. Make me able when I'm unable. Come on, let the wind of the Spirit blow upon the, the, the dryness of your heart. Upon the hunger of your heart and bring transformation and change. It begins with a decision. It begins with a decision that says, God, I believe you. I believe you. I believe what you want to do in my life is great. Come on, just cry out to him this morning. Open up your heart to him this morning. Tell him, Lord, I can't move myself. I've got to have your power. I've got to have your strength upon my life.